Thank you, guys. Well, I would like to help some of you. I would like to help some of you who either are new to the faith and would really like somebody who's been doing this a while to help you get going in the things of prayer and reading your Bible and just being a Christian in today's world. I'd like to help some of you who are not new to the faith, but for one reason or another never seem to get that going or it's kind of fallen off. And a week from this coming Tuesday, I'll start a six-week series that, that I wrote many years ago and have used many, many times in this church called Discipleship Training 100. And you can see some of the things. No, you can't. Uh, you will soon see some of the very things that it will help you with. It will help you in your, um, in your understanding of what's happened to you as a Christian, your identity. It'll help you in developing your walk with the Lord. It'll, in terms of prayer, in terms of Bible study, in terms of connecting with other believers, in terms of sharing your faith, in terms of dealing with temptation. So I, I sure hope you'll consider joining me for six consecutive Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock, and that will begin a week from this Tuesday. Now, this coming uh, Tuesday, I want to invite all of you, uh, no matter where you may be in your faith, to come back to the church here at 7 o'clock this Tuesday night and to join me in one Tuesday evening of, of prayer, of, in a particular kind of prayer. If you're new to this fellowship, you may not know that um, encompassing this 18-acre property we have here is a path. And uh, you can apparently see it from space. And, and uh, that path we have affectionately come to call the wall, uh, likening it to the wall around Jerusalem. And uh, we do something we like to do here called walking the wall, where we actually just go out and we just walk that point six miles from start to finish, and we pray. And God has blessed this place because, uh, in part, many prayers have been offered on that wall. And something happened last Sunday at 9 o'clock, perhaps many of you were here, in that I was completely blindsided by an attack from Satan. Satan's real. And uh, I completely lost focus, completely lost attention because of what I could not help but see, and that was a presence of darkness over this group and a presence of evil in the room. I've never seen that here before. And so, um, you know, we responded in the ways that we did and prayed for prayers of discernment uh, between services. And at the 11 o'clock service, I called eight unsuspecting people up, some of them whose names I didn't even know. I, as we were worshiping, I just looked out and I saw the Holy Spirit just touching these eight different people. They happened to all be men, wouldn't have had to have been, but they all happened to be men. And I asked them to come up here, and they made a line and faced the congregation and linked arms together, and they prayed. They prayed for this darkness to go, to flee, and it did. And uh, what a different service it was at 11. And I just need to also tell you this, that because of what I needed to do at 9, I couldn't preach the message. I couldn't bring the teaching. I brought it with what I consider to be striking clarity at the 11 o'clock service. And so if you, uh, if you were here at 9, I urge you, and I've never urged you to do this before, I urge you to go to the website and listen to that message on forgiveness because it's a very, very important message 
that we didn't get all the way through and didn't really get the altitude that it needed to get. And I want you to get that teaching. So if you'll go to our website, and I think it's called Downloads or something like that, and look for last week's um, message or teaching on forgive, I strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. But what I need from you is for you to come back this Tuesday night for one night at 7 o'clock to walk the wall. What will happen is we'll come in here, we'll worship just a wee bit, and then I'll lead those of you who can walk the wall out on the wall. And I'll lead you around, and we'll stop here, and we'll stop there, and we'll pray. And we'll pray. And I need you to do that. Now, not all of you can do that. You're just in places of physical reality where that's not something you can do. I still want you to come, because what will be happening in this room is that Worship will be going on and prayer will be going on for those of you who can't or choose not to walk the wall, which is as important as walking the wall. Revelation 5.8 gives us a picture of powerful prayer where it is the simultaneous action of the harp, meaning the worship, and the bowl. And it says the bowl or incense full of the prayers of the saints. So it tells us exactly what it is. It's worship and, and intercession. So some of you will be joining me on a less than a mile walk around the wall declaring the favor of God, declaring the kingdom of God, declaring the strength of the wall. And some of you will choose to remain right in here and worship the Lord while we do that. So would you raise your hand if you can come to that? Thank you. I need you here. I need you here. The body needs you here. Tuesday night. All right? Well, good. I'm going to continue, actually finish the series, Finding Your Voice, this morning. It's been our heart to take you through the Lord's Prayer and help, your, help you get a vocabulary for your heart to learn to pray Father as a son or daughter of God. Not as a servant or an alien, but as a, a son or daughter of the living God. To just let your heart cry out, Father, to cry out holy. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Holy. Just to cry out that word holy from not only your head, but your heart, your, your spirit man. And to learn to say kingdom. Kingdom come with authority. To announce kingdom authority. To announce the rule and reign of God. And just to invite him to come. Let your heart cry out, give us this day our daily life, our daily breath, our daily our daily sustenance. Come, Lord, and be in me daily. And, and to learn to say forgive. And forgive me, Lord, and I forgive those who sin against me. And I pray for the forgiveness of those against whom I have sinned. And lead us not into temptation to call out to God and say, Lord, protect me from the evil one. Deliver me from the evil one. Now, of those words, I'm just wondering, which ones have you found to be most life-giving? Anybody want to just share a little bit? Which have you found to be most life-giving in this series so far, most helpful? Didn't know I was going to ask you a question, did you? You all looking surprised. LaRue? Yeah. LaRue said it was uh, when, when we talked about... Give us this day our daily bread as give us this day our daily life because the scripture she said that resonates in her is that in him we live and move and have our being. Okay. Another one or two? What, what parts of this have been most life-giving for you? 
Peggy says, saying holy from a different place. Now, by different place, what do you mean? From a deeper place. Good. One more. What's been most life-giving in this series? That's right, because there are only two. Yes, in the back. Yeah. And he's saying that, uh, saying Father, just being able to say Father from his heart, not just going like flying right past that, but just being able to say Father from your heart. Today I'd like for us to move to the last, thank you, our last phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For thine or yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I need to teach you how to say amen. I need to teach you how to say amen from your heart. And what with the power of saying amen from your heart. Now a lot of your Bibles perhaps don't include this phrase and and give you a little explanation, and there's some argument as to whether or not Jesus actually said these words or not, but I'm going to defer to the brilliant British scholar N.T. Wright, who says it would be unthinkable for a Jewish teacher of Jesus' day to end this great prayer on lead us not into temptation. It would be unthinkable, he said. He said, of course, this is part of the prayer. Amen, he says. It's not a part of the prayer that we are meant to ask. You know how we're saying, we're asking, aren't we? We're saying, we're saying uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, your, your give us this day our daily bread. We're saying, forgive me as I've forgiven, lead me not in. This, this last phrase isn't meant to be asked, it's meant to be announced. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory. Amen. Amen, church? meant to be announced. It's this part of the prayer has both an upward and an outward focus. Let's begin with the upward. It's a doxology. Doxology. Now when I say that, some of you start thinking, praise God from whom all blessings. Yeah, and you know, because you grew up in church where the thing that was called the doxology was a particular song, typically sung right after the offering, right? Who knows what I'm talking about? Anybody? All right, And that's okay to call that a doxology, but it's not the doxology, it's a doxology. It's a refrain of praise, doxus, glory of God. It's a refrain of praise to God. And this is a doxology, an exclamation of praise with an upward focus. A celebration of who God is and what God has done. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. Can you just sense the upward praise? Yes or no, church? Yeah, I know you can. It's a release of something. Yours is the king. You're king. You're powerful. You're glorious. And when your heart learns to say that, then you begin to praise God. There are other doxologies in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 21. Read it with me if you can see it. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a doxology, isn't it? It's a release of praise. And something happens when we do that. In Revelation chapter 5, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 
Then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That's a doxology, isn't it? Hello? A doxology. And then Jamie just read for us that wonderful doxology in Jude Verses 24 and 25, to him who is able, let's, let's read it together. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Something happens when you say those things from the heart place. It's a praise, isn't it? Something comes alive when you can get there. Something happens. Who here gets excited when you encounter these scriptures or scriptures? Who here gets excited, man? It's like something emotional kicks in. You're like, where did that come from? Well, you're living from the place of your eternity. And it's spilling over into your now. All creation was created to reflect the glory of God. Did you know that? Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. All creation was made to reflect God's glory. Our whole task is just to keep our surfaces shiny enough, clean enough, so that we can reflect glory back to God. It's not our glory, it's His glory. And our praise is a reflection of that glory back to God. All creation was made to do this. What did Jesus say when the Pharisees demanded that He tell the people to stop praising Him? What did He say? He said, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. The rocks! You are made to praise God. You are made to praise God. You are made to praise God. (laughs) That's what you're doing here. Your, Your ultimate purpose. In his pretty heady book, The Evidential Power of Beauty, author Thomas DeBay effectively argues that our capacity to appreciate beauty is the very evidence that we are created in the image of God. You know when you see something beautiful and you're struck by it? It could be a sunset and you're struck by it. It could be some big old tough guy holding his baby for the first time. And he's struck by beauty, isn't he? And in his book, he says, in the evidential power of beauty, he says, this capacity that we have to appreciate beauty is evidence that we are created in the image of God. Because, Genesis chapter 1, God created this, and he came back, and what did he do? What did he do after each element of creation? He saw that it was good. He appreciated the beauty of it, didn't he? He just looked at it. Man. 
Now, only God can say this, but he, he could say, I'm good. Right? <laughs> he looked at all that he had made, and he said, let's make man in our image, in our likeness. Let's make him. And he created a male and female. It says he created him. And he came back, and he went, Whoa. That's good. And God created beauty, and God appreciated the beauty of His own handiwork. And in us is a capacity to appreciate beauty as evidence that we also are created in the image of God. You ever see your... I hate to ask this question because some of you will answer yes. You ever see your cat looking out the window at a sunset going, ooh, that's a really nice sunset. Some of you, oh, mine does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's going, I wonder when I'm going to be able to escape this place. We are separate from creation in our capacity to appreciate beauty. It's something that's a reflection of the image of God in us. You're going to praise somebody. You're going to praise somebody. You got praise to give, and you're going to praise somebody. You were made to praise. You got praise inside of you, and you're going to praise somebody. You're going to praise somebody you were made to praise. You are incapable of not appreciating beauty and excellence. You are incapable. You're going to praise somebody. And some of you may spend your lives praising your kids or your favorite sports figures or rock stars or your own accomplishments or your possessions. Some may even spend your life praising yourself. But you're going to praise somebody. Where's your praise going? Are you wasting your praise? Are you wasting your praise? Could you just ponder this question? Are you wasting your praise? I wonder if our, as a culture, our preoccupation with sports is because we are not preoccupied with God. That we are so affected by the victory or the loss, so emotionally, viscerally affected. And yet not so affected at the very thought of the beauty of God. Are you wasting your praise? Who alone is worthy of our 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 praise? Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. It's a doxology. This is the upward element of this word, of this phrase. It's also a battle cry. It's a declaration of victory. This is the outward focus. An announcement of the kingdom and power and glory of God into all the universe and from this announcement, the power of the Holy Spirit is released. Did you know this? That when you, in faith, by faith, with faith, 
Announce these very words from your heart. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. You're announcing power into the very room, into your very circumstances. We're at war. Did you know we're at war? This is the part of the Christian reality that, or the part of the spiritual reality that today's Christians seem not to want to talk that much about. That we're at war. Anybody read the Old Testament? No? I don't know what the number is, but I wonder what percentage of the Old Testament is devoted to a description of war. That ought to be a clue, right? How much warfare did Jesus do when he was on the earth? Did he cast out demons? Did he cast out demons? Did he tear down strongholds? We're at war. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's in your Bible. We are at war. First Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be alert and so sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Distract? Discourage? He wants to kill us. He wants to take us out. Next verse says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. This is a universal experience that we are at war. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Take note. Jesus did not say the gates of hell will not visit it. Jesus said, Jesus did not say will not bother you. He said they just, it just won't win. We're at war. Marriages in the U.S. have a 53% failure rate. We're at war. The devil hates our marriages. Some of you are part of that statistic. And I know on the day that you said I do, you meant what you said. Nobody says, uh, maybe. Nobody says, well, for a while. People stand at that place fully intending to keep that commitment. But we're at war. 70% of young adults who attend church while in high school drop out of church. 70%. Two-thirds of them come back, usually when they have kids. We're at war. 115 people die every day in America of an opioid drug overdose. 115 people. 
115 people who woke up this morning will not wake up tomorrow because we're at war. 11 of them will be in Ohio. Now get this. The population of Ohio comprises 3.6% of the population of the United States. And yet almost 10% of the opioid deaths happen right here in our state. We are at war. We're at war. But I have good news for you. The good news is that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's what we get to say that. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You know, a lot of theologians, when they talk about the kingdom and the power and the glory, they say yours will be. And they emphasize the eschatological dimension of the coming of the kingdom. That yeah, he's coming back. And when he comes, and when he comes, all the wrongs will be put right. And when he comes, he will establish his kingdom. And that's true. But that's not how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, yeah, I'm coming back. And I will fully establish my kingdom when I come. But it's also in the here and the now. He said, yours, pray this, yours is the kingdom, not will be. Yours is the power, not will be. Yours is the glory, not will be. Yours is now. Can you say is? Can you say it from your heart? Yours is the kingdom. That's a pronouncement of victory, isn't it? That's a battle cry. We need to announce this battle cry. It's time, beloved. Man, last Sunday morning was a wake-up call for me. And I didn't even know I was asleep. We need to announce this battle cry right here. Today. Yours is the kingdom. This is your space, Lord. Yours is the power. Yours is the... And we need to announce it in our homes. Some of you people need to go home from this place and stand in your living room and say, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Some of you need to walk around the outside of your property just saying, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Announce the victory of the Lord. Lay claim to what God wants to wants to do. And above all, we need to do this together. Some of you know how to say amen. Some of you are already, already there. The rest of you need to come in and learn how to say amen. Amen is praise. Amen is battle cry. We need to learn how to do this together. We need to learn how to lock our shields together. If I'd have kept reading for you from the book of Ephesians, you would have seen that part of the armor of God is called the shield of faith. The shield of faith. It says, with which you will be able to extinguish all of the fiery darts of the evil one. Say all, right? So what are we doing getting killed? What are we doing getting wiped out? What, what's happening? We need to learn to lock our shields together. Because we are at war. Some of you may remember the 2006 movie, 300. And it was a fictitious rendering, but of an actual battle 
of the Spartans against the Persians, the Battle of Thermopylae, where some 300 Spartans were, have said to overpower, outlast some 7,000 Persians. And they attributed their victory to something they called the Spartan phalanx, where they would lock their shields together, where they wouldn't fight alone. That's what we're called to do, is to lock our shields together, announce this victory.